Good morning. We, um, oh, we're just going to jump right in this morning. I don't have anything clever to introduce it. So um, we're in Romans uh, chapter 5. If you've brought your Bible or you have it on something electronic, uh, feel free to pull it out. Um, but Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Um, and what, what, what is helpful to know about these verses is um, what's been happening for the first uh, four chapters of the letter. Because sometimes um, we come in here, we, we can't spend an hour reading from the Bible, although that would be lovely, I'm sure. Um, so we read just a few verses, but, but we've totally pulled them out of what's going on. And so if you back up all the way to Romans chapter 1, and you look at the first four chapters, you'll see that Paul has spent a great deal of time sharing with us um, the problem of humanity, the problem of mankind, and the solution to that problem. And so, for instance, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and especially the second half of chapter 1, Paul is expounding on the fallenness of mankind, on how we have rejected God, how God God gave us up to our own devices and desires because we rejected Him, and, and what that sin, that's what we call sin when we reject God like that, what that sin has done to us. I'm just made a complete mess of our lives, made a complete mess of God's creation. Um, we're, we're just in a, in a very tough spot, all because of our sinfulness. And then he would go on then, in chapter 3, he jumps into the solution to that problem. The solution to that problem, which is his son Jesus Christ, God himself came and walked on this earth, Um, forgave us our sins, died on the cross so that he could forgive us of our sins, and was raised again on the third day. And now he sits with God um, at the right hand of his throne. And so we've we've got this problem with sin, we've got the solution in Jesus Christ, and how we appropriate that lives is, is, appropriate that in our lives is, is through our faithfulness, our faith in him, um, do we believe in Jesus Christ and, and our sins are forgiven? Among a whole bunch of other things. But that's, a, that's one of the consequences of salvation is the forgiveness of sins. And so here we have now, with all of that in view, um, that what I like to call a big little word right there at the beginning of chapter 5. Therefore. Therefore. Sometimes we read over these words and we don't think about them. But, but it's huge. It's, it's all of this, chapters 1 through 4. Therefore, this is what happens. This is what's next. And what we, what we hear are the implications of our forgiveness. Of, um, uh, he uses a fancy word there, justified. The implications of our justification. What does it mean for God to pronounce this statement over us that we are forgiven? What does that mean? Well, this is some of what it means, verses 1 to 5. And, and what I hope you will be able to take away from this um, sermon... Is, is, is this. So there's, there's two aspects of our salvation, two aspects of our justification. Um, one is future-oriented, and this is the one that gets a lot of press, that, that one day we will be with God in heaven. One day we will be with God in the new creation, in the new heavens, in the new earth. Um, that's one aspect. is a very future-oriented salvation, but there's a second aspect. And that second aspect is, is, is a very present joy that, that we, we can have right now. Um, 
today, tomorrow, a joy that, that saturates and permeates our lives. And so I, I hope you'll see that and come away with it, that this isn't only a future hope, but it's also a present reality, a present joy. Now, just pause for a second. It doesn't mean happiness. Joy and happiness are different things. Happiness depends on something that is happening to you. If something happens, you are happy. But um, you can be joyful, right? And not necessarily happy all the time. Um, and, and so what does this look like? And we will we'll talk about that. So chapter 5, verse 1. Um, and the first thing, first thing Paul talks about is our status. What is our status before God? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So what do we have there? We, we have two things. We have peace and we have access. Peace and access. Those who, those who know Jesus, who have proclaimed faith in him, have peace with God and access to grace. Um, peace with God. What does that mean? Well, the opposite of peace with God would be war with God, right? And if you're at war with God, that's probably not an ideal thing. Um, but that's where we are. That's sort of um, our natural status is to be at war with God, to be against God, to be, to be butting up to Him. And so uh, for some of us that looks like um, God's, God thinks we should do this with our lives, so I'm going to do that with my life. That, you know, that's sort of rebelling against Him. But, but another way to be at war with God is simply trying to um, get good stuff from Him. Using him, if you will, to get things. And, and, and you might pretend to be peaceful, but you're really at war with him, just trying to get stuff from him. And so, so what that might look like is coming to church every Sunday so God will think you're a good person. So God will bless you. Um, you're just trying to get stuff from God. You're not actually trying to serve him and to love him and live peacefully with him. And so Paul says this. When we know Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, when we know that justification that comes in him, we are no longer at war with God. We are at peace with him. And so we aren't trying to earn anything or get anything from God. We're just at peace, enjoying him and his beautiness and holiness. We aren't rebelling against him or rejecting him. We're at peace with him and, and, and the circumstances that, that he has surrounded us with and what he has called us to. That's, that's what it means. It means to be no longer at war with God, but at peace with him. That is one of the implications of our salvation. And that's, um, that's something that we, we can kind of see now and start to experience now. But the fact of the matter is there's still that headbutting. There's still that rejecting um, that we won't know the fullness of this peace until, um, until we're glorified. Until we're with him and enjoying him forever. Second point. Um, so, so we have peace with God. And the second thing we have is we have access to his grace. Uh, verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In the Old Testament... And so um, the people, most of the people reading Paul's letter, or a lot of them would be very familiar with their Old Testaments. Um, you simply didn't have access to God. It wasn't quite so simple. We're very comfortable with um, each one of us individually saying our own prayers to God or asking him for forgiveness on our own. That, that's something that, that, that is, is ingrained into our culture. But, but, 
the people Paul is writing to, that, that's a very new thing. And so, for instance, think about the temple uh, structure, the place where the, the Jewish people worshipped. There was, um, at the very center, a very isolated place, the Holy of Holies. That was where the um, Ark of the Covenant was stored. Well, not stored. It was, more, it, was, it was there. It was right there in the middle of the temple. And surrounding that and in that, in the midst of the Holy of Holies, was the very presence of God himself. The very presence of God himself. And um, that room in the middle was, was partitioned off with a very thick curtain. And then just outside of that room was... Um, a place where one person could go. Only one person in the entire world could go to this room. And that was the high priest, the, the, the top dog of the worship leaders in Israel, the high priest. He could come into that room, um, and he would prepare himself for his once-a-year venture into the Holy of Holies. And so he had to do a, a ritual cleansing, a spiritual cleansing, um, and, and that took some time, maybe even a day, maybe more, um, to prepare himself to enter into the middle part in the presence of God. And there he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel uh, for atonement and forgiveness. Now, he could only do this once a year. One person, once a year, had access to God. Now, you, or if you were a Jewish man, you had access um, to the very next part of the temple. If you were a, a woman, you had access to the next part that's even further out. And if you were a Gentile, meaning if you were not Jewish... Um, you could go into the court of the Gentiles even farther out. That does not sound very accessible to me. And it wasn't. And so this idea of having access to God was dependent simply, I mean, frankly, on one man to make one sacrifice once a year and to hope that he was good enough to actually do that. It was not uh, particularly accessible and so for Paul to write in this letter that we have access to God, that is simply mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. That through faith in Jesus Christ, through justification, we can actually pray to God. We can talk to God. We can ask God to forgive us. We can get mad at God. Some of you are probably mad at God. And he welcomes that. You have access to him. Tell him about it. He wants to hear it. It is mind-blowing to think that we could speak directly with the creator of the universe. We have access to God. Um, here is the, the, the challenge to that, though. We, um, you know, sometimes we think of God as you know, kind of like an Advil, maybe. So if we have a headache, what do you do? You have access to the medicine cabinet, you go get an Advil. If you need something, you have access to God. And so you call upon him. Lord, help me with this. High schoolers, any high schoolers in here? Exams this week, right? Yeah. You got access. Um, but that's not what it's supposed to be. You know, it's not like we're standing over here and we reach out for God when we want him or when we need him. It, it, it's not like an Advil. Access to God is, is, is we're there now. We're in his presence now. And so um, to have access to the king meant that you could go sit in his presence. You had that kind of access. And so what does Paul say? It's very important. Look at these words very closely. Through him we have also obtained what? Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
in which we stand. This is a present thing that we are standing in is in the grace of God. We have access to him right now. We're accessing God. You go home, you're accessing God. He's there. You're in his presence. Some people come to me, and uh, we, we live in this such this sort of um, legalistic frame of mind. That's just kind of where we go, is, is we do something, and we think God will do something else. Or, you know, all of our relationships are like that. I'll do this for you, you do this for me. I do it with my kids. I'll, I'll give you dessert if you eat your broccoli. Um, it's that sort of thing. And so we think, um, well, even, even Christianized legalism looks something like this. Um, if I confess this particular sin, God will forgive it. If I do this, God will do that. And so the question comes up um, very frequently, surprisingly. Let's say I confess a sin and then sin again, you know, a couple hours later because it's going to happen. All you're going to get home, you're going to sin. Um, and then what happens if you pass away right after that sin? Is it forgiven? If you have an Advil mindset with God and you haven't accessed him, to be forgiven, you might be in trouble, right? But if you're standing in the presence of a holy and loving God, even when you're messing up, even when you're falling short, because you're going to fall short, you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, but you're standing in his presence, that he forgives you like that. He loves you like that. If you reject him and reject that access, that's fine, you're on your own. But if you are in his presence, what you do, what you will do, what you've done, does, it is forgiven, friends. It is forgiven. It's not this sort of legalistic tit for tat, you do this, I'll do this. It's, it's I love you and I forgive you. The next verses in chapter 5, um, Paul says this. While you were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, if you stop sinning, I'll die for you. He said, while you're still sinning, I'll die for you. So, in justification, we have this sort of a status change, if you will. We, we have, we're no longer at war with God. We have peace with God. Um, we're no longer separated from God. We have access to God. That, that is a present reality in our lives. And, and when we have this change in status, then we have a change in outlook. The way we look at this world is completely changed. Um, second part of verse 2 says this. Um, we rejoice. You see that there? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. What's going on? Okay. We rejoice, first of all, in the glory of God. Now, again, if you read your Old Testament, there's not a lot of rejoicing being done in the glory of God, in the, in the, in the presence of his glory. Isaiah um, had a vision where he was lifted up into the glory of God, and, and, and he, he saw the train of God's robe filling the temple, and he was freaking out, basically. He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. He, he, he came before the presence of the holy God and he realized how sinful he was. How inadequate he was to be in that presence. Um, when Solomon 
dedicated the temple. He constructed this grand, amazing temple, and, and, and he dedicated it, and, and the Lord's presence fell upon it. The glory of the Lord fell upon that place. It was so enormous, so heavy, so weighty that the people inside squashed to the ground had to crawl out because of the power of the glory of God. The Holy of Holies. What, what, what do we say? One guy once a year could offer a sacrifice um, because of the presence of God, because of the glory of God. It, it was too much. You, you couldn't be in the presence of it. Moses said, God, let me see your glory. And God said, no, I can't do that, Moses. You'll die. Because I'm amazing, amazingly holy. And we are incredibly not. So we can't be in the presence. And so here we have Paul saying that we will rejoice, that we do rejoice in hope for the glory of God. So when we have been justified, the glory of God is no longer terrifying. It's amazing. The glory of God is no longer something to be feared. It's something to be cherished and expected and hoped for. And you read at the end of Revelation about... um, about the heavenly city coming down and the glory of God and us living in the midst of the glory of the God. It is, it is incredible. That's something we hope for. It's something we long for. We look forward to. A place where there will be no more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. But rejoicing. We have that hope, friends. But that's a future hope, is it not? What about now? What about tomorrow? What about the folks in Oklahoma? Do they just have to wait? Let's read on. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not Put us to shame. We rejoice in our sufferings. Now, before we figure out what that is, let's talk about what it is not. Um, There's a family um, near us in seminary, and um, they're fine now. They're actually doing very well, but but when in my second year of school, their house burned down. It burned to the ground. Everybody was safe, but their house burned down. And so there's this, this giant of a man um, sitting in the street watching the firefighters try to salvage something out of his house, and he's just weeping. And, and different friends were coming up to him, and they were, they were well-meaning friends. Um, they, were, they were faithful folks. They were, they, were, they were friends who loved him very much. This is a, a resident of the town, um, and he's known these people for years. And they would say things like, at least you have Jesus and when you're watching your house burn down, that's not real helpful. Or they say, at least, you know, at least your family's still alive. And that's true. Yes, praise God, they're still alive. But the fact of the matter is, I'm suffering. I'm watching everything I ever owned burn to the ground. Pithy statements about how much God loves me may be true, but they're not helpful. And so if somebody come up to him and say, well, you're suffering, you should rejoice in that. I'd be like, no, thank you. I might actually sock him in the face. I mean, that's not helping anybody. And so um, if when Paul says rejoice in your sufferings, it doesn't mean um, to reduce our sufferings to inconsequential because we have Jesus, okay? Because suffering um, is painful. 
Suffering is hard. Suffering is very real. And I know almost every single person in this room can attest to that. Suffering hurts. And God knows that. And so don't, we don't want to reduce it to um, inconsequential. On the other hand, the other, uh, another thing that, that happens, that what Paul is not saying, is um, sometimes we link suffering to the amount of faithfulness we have. And so there'll be some preachers, and they'll get up there and preach and say, if you have faith, God's going to give you a new boat. If you have enough faith, God will pour out his money, his blessings, his riches upon you. If you have enough faith, God will do this for you. If you don't have enough faith, watch out. If you're suffering right now, maybe you're just not faithful enough. Maybe you need to read your Bible four times a day instead of twice a day. Maybe you need to pray harder. That's not what Paul is saying. Not at all. Jesus. Okay, I'd say he's a pretty good Christian, huh? He was faithful. He prayed hard. He did everything God would have him do. He suffered. He suffered. He suffered more than every single person in this room can ever imagine suffering. And so Paul is not saying you'll never suffer. Paul is actually saying you can expect it. You're going to suffer whether you believe in Jesus or not. In fact, if you believe in Jesus, you might suffer more. What are we going to do about that? We're going to rejoice. We, um, well, I'm going to use a collective we, but it's really an individual we. We, meaning my wife, um, is doing a really great job of taking some wallpaper down in our bathroom. And I'm going to help her. I'm, there's usually something else I've got to take care of at a particular moment. Um, but she's doing a really good job. We've, it's this horrid uh, dark red wallpaper with white flowers, maybe magnolia flowers. I don't know. It's, it's bad. And so we're going we're gonna to take it down and we're going to paint it, um, I think, blue or green or something nice and fun and, and warm and exciting. Anybody ever taken wallpaper down? Show of hands. Anybody done this? Is that... Pleasant? Does that make you happy? Do you rejoice in that? Not so much. It's very hard work getting that wallpaper off the wall. And if we were taking the wallpaper off the wall to leave it just ugly or to put something ugly back, it certainly would not be worth it, right? But there's something wonderful and magnificent coming out of this, a fresh coat of paint, okay? No more ugly bathroom. And, and, and so every strip of the wallpaper is worth it because, not because that's fun, but because of what is coming, because of what we are expecting, because of what we're hoping for. Somehow this future hope of a brightly painted bathroom makes the stripping of the wallpaper all the much more worth it. And maybe it's not fun, but we can kind of have a good time doing it when I help. Um, my son loves it. Or let's use another image. Paul, um, if, again, if you read ahead in Romans, Romans chapter 8, he talks about um, the, the glory of God and the waiting for the glory of God. And he compares it um, to the pains of childbirth. That as we wait to see this glory, as we wait to meet God face to face, it is comparable to the pains of childbirth. Moms, is that fun? Not necessarily. But do you rejoice in it? 
Do you rejoice in what's coming, in that sweet child that you get to hold? None of you, I'm guessing, none of you would give up that. You would embrace it, you would rejoice in it, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying we, we rejoice in our sufferings, not because they're fun, not because they make us happy, but because of what is coming. The glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. And so even in the midst of these sufferings, God is working in us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. Look at this, this process. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. It produces patience. Endurance produces character, virtues in our lives that, that enable us to look forward hopefully. Character then produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. This isn't a false hope. This isn't a, a, a hope that, that, that may or may not happen. This is a hope that has happened, that will happen, a hope founded on the blood of Jesus Christ and the promise of his resurrection. And when you hope like that, it can't help but change your life. It can't help but change your outlook, how you view this world. Polycarp, um, I already said this at 9 a.m., so you women better, if you're pregnant, listen up. That name's available. Polycarp, you can grab it when, um, you know, when your baby's born. Um, he's a saint in the church. He was captured by the Romans, and they, um, they were going to burn him. They burned him at the stake. And they're going to they're gonna nail him to the stake. And he said, you don't need to nail me. I'm not going anywhere. The love of God will hold me to this stake. And so they didn't. They tied him up. They didn't nail him. And this, he's burning. And this is what he says. These are his last words. He's praying to God. I bless you. It's not save me. You hear that? He says, I bless you. I praise you. Because you have granted me this day and hour that I might receive a portion amongst the number of martyrs in the cup of your Christ. The man is suffering. He's dying. And he says, I praise you, God. I praise you that you have granted me this, that I may join the martyrs of your church. What kind of faith does it take to have a joy like that? What kind of promise do we hold on to to have a joy like that? Only the faithfulness of Jesus Christ can stir that in our hearts. And some of you are suffering. If you haven't suffered yet, I promise you, I promise you, you will. And I promise you, you're probably going to know somebody that's suffering at least as much, if not more, than you are. We see it on TV every day. This week was especially heavy. I'm sure in the weeks to come, we'll get it again. Is it possible to have joy in that? Is it possible to rejoice in that? Yes, through the power of Jesus Christ, through the promise of his salvation, through the peace and access that we have with God. These things are available to us right now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to suffer through this life so we can wait for something better. We, we have it now. Why? Because God has poured the love on, his love on us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so, I, you know, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're suffering and you don't know Jesus Christ. You have a chance to invite him now. 
to come into that suffering in the midst of it. He's not going to take it away. I wish I could say he would, but he'll walk with you. He'll walk right there with you. You have friends in this church that will walk right there with you in the midst of your suffering. And some of you believe in Jesus Christ and your suffering as well. And the same thing is true of you. Will you let Jesus Christ walk with you? Will you invite um, your friends, the body of Christ, the faithful, to walk along with you in that suffering? To make a future hope a very real and joyful reality? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope that you have given us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the peace we have with God. We thank you for the access we have to him. We thank you for hope and the glory of God, and we thank you, Lord, that we are even now able to rejoice, even in suffering. For those of us who struggle, for those of us who are walking a tough walk right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and walk with us. And Lord Jesus, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would make yourself known. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name, through the power of his Holy Spirit and to the glory of God the Father. Amen.